This episode of Policing Matters is sponsored by Kenwood. We are committed to providing modern turnkey critical communication solutions for today and the future. Well, hello and welcome back and thank you for tuning in to Policing Matters on PoliceOne.com. I'm your host, Jim Dudley. Well, there's a popular perception out there that police officers and investigators have exciting lives, getting into vehicle and foot pursuits, tackling suspects, solving complicated crimes by merely examining the evidence or maybe through interviews and interrogation. Well, in truth, some of that's true, but most crime is solved by the effectiveness in documenting the crime from its first report to law enforcement. And I realize that we're talking to a wide variety of listeners out there from veteran officers who've taken more police reports than I could ever think of to younger uh, patrol officers, to students and, and people looking into getting into law enforcement. So hopefully our expert today can help shed some lights on things to uh, think about, uh, think about beyond writing the report. Where's the report gonna go? How it can help in prosecution and maybe some tips on how to avoid some pitfalls. And while some view report writing as not to be too sexy or exciting, it's a keystone to any investigation and prosecution of offenders. Even the simplest routine reports have important implications down the road. Well, I'm speaking today with a friend of the podcast and returning academic expert, Dr. Janae Gasparini. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be back. Well, a little bit of background. If you forget, Janae began her career as a police officer in New York State in 2006. And during her tenure as a police officer, she trained and certified as a crime scene technician, field training officer, and police instructor. She served in the capacity of a community relations officer and has instructed in several police academies and for multiple community groups. She now serves as a criminal justice program chairperson taught a variety of criminal justice courses and developing uh, online course offerings. Dr. Gasparini has taught collegiate criminal justice courses since 2009 and is currently an assistant professor of criminal justice at Shepherd University, Shepherdstown, West Virginia. Again, thanks so much for being on the show. And um, how important is good report writing and policing? Well, it can't be overemphasized how important it is. And um, this is something I've, I've actually taught since 2009. And so I've had a wide variety of audience members from uh, college students to recruits. And we tell them the same thing every time, right? If it isn't written down, it didn't happen. So to that end, report writing and knowing how to do it well are highly critical skills. As you said, it's not the most glamorous thing to talk about, but especially for future police officers and newer police officers mastering what really is like a specific way of writing saves so many headaches down the line. And I know we've all had experiences with that, um, but it's also important because the report, as we know, becomes a document which various professionals in the field may view. And when considering things like, you know, one of the things I thought about, uh, if you think about the Freedom of Information Act, for example, one might anticipate that 
his or her report could end up in the hands of virtually anybody. But the real nugget here is that in, in the case of an arrest, you know, it's our job, we want a successful prosecution. So the report author has this critical task of memorializing everything that happened on that call. And the goal is to do such a good job that you're really painting a thorough and accurate picture of what transpired, you know, for anyone who might pick up your report and read it. And I always think of um, my first sergeant when I was a brand new police officer, you know, and he imparted this little, uh, this little ditty on me. He said, you know, listen, Gasparini, basically you need to write this report. So if you drop dead tomorrow, I don't need to talk to you about it. And I know what happened. So that kind of stuck with me and it's kind of informed. I was like, you know, that really makes sense, Sarge. Thank you. You know, so that's kind of stuck with me and uh, it's definitely informed how I, how I write my reports and also how I instruct um, students and recruits to write reports as well. It's very important. Can't be overemphasized. Of course. And depending on which sergeant you talk to. So I, I was in an agency large enough to have four or five sergeants on per shift. So officers would get into a habit of shopping the report or shopping the sergeant to see who's sort of the, the, the pushover for accepting any report and who may be a stickler for details. And I got to hand it to the sergeants who held out for the best possible reports because they knew the implications, they knew the possibilities downstream of how important that report could be. Sure, absolutely. Yep. And it's, it's interesting too, uh, even within an agency, the different expectations um, that, uh, that each boss might have, you know, you kind of tend to learn that a little bit, like this is what Sergeant Smith expects, and this is what Sergeant Jones expects. So it's uh, all part of, you know, all part of the learning process for sure. Yeah. And of course, you know, you may fall into a habit of using a sort of template um, boilerplate description of the call by call, right? So you may say, you know, in a burglary, as long as you get all of the elements of the crime, I'm gold, right? So I came, I saw, I took, I left, I wrote the report. And some agencies, some supervisors are fine with that. But uh, really, for several uh, reasons that we're going to talk about, um, you have to know something, you have to remember something about the particular crime scene and make each one a little bit different. And it also helps, like you just said, of who's, who's possibly reading your reports. And I've seen it where uh, defense attorneys and uh, ACLU and some um, uh, citizens complaint boards will go after officers' uh, prior reports uh, to attack their style as being one size fits all and you just insert my defendant's name here, how could they all possibly be the same? So there's, there's a hazard right there. Yeah, absolutely. So the necessary basics, everybody's got it. Um, I think you should know your own agency's uh, format and what they want. And once you've done that, think about things like the clear timeline, the chronology, the who, what, where, when, how, and why, to avoid jargons and acronyms, uh, to spell things out the first time they're used, right? If you talk about um, an APHIS case, you might want to write out the automated fingerprint identification system. Uh, you certainly want to show the elements of the crime, document locations, who picked up what, where, uh, what happened, where were they transported, what were they wearing, all those things. But why is it important? Why, why, why are all those things important? 
Yeah, you know, in, in my experience, it's, I think it's kind of simple why it's important. You just really never know what detail is going to turn into something bigger. You know, something you recorded uh, at this particular scene or for this particular case narrative might have no real bearing on the case that you're working on at the time, but down the road, um, it could really become key. And, uh, you know, it really, this, this report is really a reflection of your hard work and, um, you know, it, it gets you a reputation the way that, the way that you do write your reports, um, your professionalism. Um, and, it, you know, as we're saying, it just can't be overstated the, the importance of doing this well. Uh, and I guess playing the long game, really, <laughs> you know, we're always thinking ahead and we should always be thinking about where is this going to end up and thinking about prosecution. So mm -hmm. it pays dividends to dot your I's and cross your T's, um, you know, right out, of the, right out of the gate, even if it's the most simple case that you, you've experienced to date. Sure. And I think our veteran officers out there listening all have stories to tell about either being surprised or not anticipating something down the road. And then they pay for it in, you know, being grilled by the prosecution sure. about the, the who, what, when, where, and why, or uh, being subpoenaed for a case you never thought you'd be subpoenaed for. So you take a burglary, for example, and a gun stolen and you do your, I went, I saw, I took the report and I left. And then the gun turns up later in the hands of a gang member or someone's shot or someone's killed or uh, the burglar was a serial rapist. Um, I mean, th those things really tie in later. And so like I say, it's preaching to the choir with the veteran officers who've, who've experienced those kinds of things. Definitely. Um, so cold case reports, um, any, any comments on that? Uh, somebody gets home from vacation, their house is broken into, or um, something that's reported two or three days down the road. Um, what's the value in, in making a good report there? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's kind of, the value is, is uh, I, I think if you put yourself in a mind, a state of mind where um, you're thinking that everything I do is important and everything I do could become important. Um, you know, you, for example, right, you uh, start to establish an MO in the case of that burglary and it might not mean anything to you now, but two weeks later when the same thing happens, right, there you have it. Um, you just, again, it's always this forward thinking and, uh, you know, just putting as much, stacking as much in, in, in your corner as possible um, and, and taking the time and doing these things thoroughly. Uh, you know, it's, it's amazing. And it always amazed me how things could circle back on themselves in the field. And you're like, man, I never thought that this would ever amount to anything. It would never matter. And then here we are. Right. So, um, yeah. So just, yeah. And uh, I think zero through and through. So, so you, you come from a smaller department. I come from a, a large agency of 2000 officers and yeah. it's different, right? The approaches are different where you might've had the ability to solve a case or follow a case from start to finish, right? You, you take that report and you follow it all the way through or you can go talk to other officers and say, hey, I wrote this report and you should know this. So these are things happening off paper. Um, in my case, it was really important to put down as much detail as possible because once I finished the report, it left my hands and it went to investigators. And sometimes I would never 
have another contact with the investigator until I got that subpoena. Ah. And, um, and so there were certainly gaps and, you know, there's ways to identify crime trends. You just talked about, you know, a serial that you would never connect the dots to unless you, you know, if you said, uh, the, you know, the burglar smashed the window, made entry, got into the cash register, uh, left, as opposed to uh, a cobblestone was taken from a planter box outside, broken into the reached around, pulled a metal gate across, went inside, uh, did these things, opened the register, left the register box a block away. Mm -hmm. that, those are all things that would indicate a pattern. And if you had two or three of those, then it's prob you probably have a serial. And like I say, if you, if you do that preliminary report, the investigator is not going to see it. See it. I mean, do you see the the similarity between a, a large and a small agency like that? Yeah, I think so. And uh, you know, and it does. It comes back to information sharing. And you, as a team, you're really relying on each other. Small agency, large agency. Um, you know, you're really relying on every officer to be at that level of detail and be, um, you know, of that mindset that like, yeah, this is going to take me a little time, and this seems like maybe not that important, but you know, we're information sharing here. And uh, yeah, we're, we're gonna try to make our, our job stack as much in your side as you can, try to make your job as easy as possible moving forward. And, you know, I don't know that there's such thing as too much information. Right, okay. Well, we're gonna talk a little bit about these preconceived notions about report writing and you, you've got a couple of tips, but first I'd like to uh, refer to our uh, sponsor, acknowledge our sponsor and uh, we'll be right back. At Kenwood, we make sure first responders have mission-critical radio systems that work, no matter what. When the mission is critical, no one has time for complexities or static or system failures. It has to work perfectly in the worst conditions. That's why Kenwood focuses on innovating, developing, and implementing the highest quality secure communication solutions to organizations whose mission is to protect and save lives. We ensure you will always have the lifeline you need when you need it. We make safe simple. Visit us online at www.efjohnson.com. And welcome back. And I'm speaking with Dr. Janae Gasparini, who is a criminal justice professor at Shepherd University, law enforcement officer, trainer, and um, you've got some ideas about preconceived notions about report writing, and you've got some tips. What, what's, let's hear them. Yeah, sure. So uh, one of the things we kind of touched on, but it's where I'm going to start. So we already know that every agency is going to differ in their expectations and styles uh, with different reports. There are different forms, et cetera. Um, but, you know, and like we said before, even within the agency, sometimes different bosses within the same agency, um, they'll have their own differences and their own kind of little nuances. But I have, uh, in my experience, many students and recruits come to the class thinking that police report writing is full of these technical terms, jargon, and this very rigid third person narrative speak. But having learned from some of the best myself and from doing lots of information gathering among local agencies, uh, we know this is largely not the expectation. So what I tried to do over the years of teaching this topic is narrow down some 
basic principles that are portable and adjustable for students to use. Some may seem more obvious than the others, but I did choose three of my favorites. So the first thing is uh, clarity, right? When in doubt, you just wanna to lean toward clarity. And one way to ensure clarity in the report is writing in the first person singular. All right, I know sometimes on TV, you, you hear this uh, kind of third person stuff going on, but to make it simple and understandable saying I, instead of, for example, this officer or the author of this report, I've even seen that. Um, one of the goals of our, our good police report writing is understanding who is doing what. So that first person narrative really is helpful with that. Um, and sort of to follow up with that, another tip related to that clarity of action in the report is to use the active voice rather than the passive voice. So that you're always clearly relating who is doing an action. Um, a really good example of this that I saw all the time when I was a field training officer and even with some of my students, you'll see these sentences in, in the reports and they're like, they're kind of like these like phantom sentences. Um, for example, uh, the vehicle was searched or the gun was submitted into evidence, right? So that's problematic because, okay, we have the action, but we don't know who did it. And when you start to get these cases where you've got several officers there, there's several people involved, we really want to make it clear to um, to our audience, uh, who, who is doing what. And to piggyback even on that, my second tip is, um, you know, this is something I, I tell my students all the time. Tell me a story. Just tell me a story. We know from the time we're kids, right, stories have beginnings, middles, and ends. And we're, we're talking about something that already happened. So we're telling the story in the past tense, and we're writing in chronological order, just like a story. So you arrived, Okay. Upon arrival, what did you do? Right. Then what did you do? And next, and next, and next, and so on and so forth. So in this way, we are less likely to leave details out. And we have an orderly progression of information flowing. And I think this really works well for beginners, especially who might be totally overwhelmed. We know you get all this information from the scene. You're like, oh my God, what am I going to do with all this? So um, if you're feeling overwhelmed, just it's as simple as that. You just kind of start from the beginning, you know, just like mom and dad read your story when you were a kid and just tell the story in chronological order. But you, you then, want to leave out the once upon a time. Yes, definitely leave <laughs> out the once upon a time. <laughs> That's right. Just the facts, right? Yes. <laughs> like this, this actually happened. <laughs> and then um, the last tip I'll share for getting these reports off to a really great start is to use a formula first sentence. And um, I can, I mean, I can just hear the groans from, from my students, but I, I make them start their reports the same way every single time. And I suggest this because it puts you in a position when you're knocking out the who, what, when, where, and why questions kind of right off the bat. And it sets the stage for you to begin telling your story chronologically, just like we spoke about. So the sentence I have my students use uh, goes a little something like this. So on Thursday, January 28th, 2021, at approximately 0900 hours, I, Officer Jay Gasparini, was dispatched to a call for a fight in progress outside of 57 Main Street, period. And then the next phrase is, upon arrival, dot, dot, dot. So in that sentence right there, we've got the date, time, location. We've got who's responding, why they're responding, where they're responding to, all right, so you kind of knock a lot of things out and you really set yourself up nicely to start telling your story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, the only the only addition I would add is because it becomes uh, a point of contention sometimes, 
um, especially when defendants say they didn't know you were a cop, right? Mm. That I, I make sure that officers would write, I pulled up in my marked radio car in full uniform as okay, I approach, yeah. right? And, sure. you know, the suspect looked directly at me as opposed to, you know, anticipating down the road where they say, hey, you pulled up and came at me. I didn't know who you were. And all of a sudden we're fighting. And you take all that ambiguity out of, of that by, by laying the groundwork. Absolutely. And that's a great point. Um, back to what you were saying before about how you can't just use these boilerplate uh, report formats, right? So yeah, to your point, maybe um, in a case like that, uh, you, you change, I mean, I'm still a big fan of like that first sentence where it's just all laid out, but you know, right after that, maybe you change it up and sure. uh, you know, say that, that you identified yourself or what have you. So speaking of prosecution and anticipating the prosecution, um, what, what can be done to waylay those things? So the, so I just mentioned the idea that you say you pulled up, you're in a police car, everybody knows what they look like, you're in uniform, there's no you know, controversy that you're another gang, a rival gang member or something like that. What else can we do to anticipate those sort of prosecution objections that we see sometimes? Yeah, I mean, the simple answer is there's a whole lot that can be done um, to prepare for prosecution. And the key to that is really just kind of putting it in your mind that you should always be anticipating prosecution and that that's going to be the end result. So in my, my take is we always want to play the long game and think end goal. You know, where is this report going to potentially end up anticipating prosecution um, and a possible trial? Uh, you know, that means a couple of things, I guess. First is attention to detail. So we never know, first of all, whether a case is gonna move forward or, and this becomes a challenge too, how far out on a timeline this might be. So my personal feeling from a few hard knocks I've experienced and some you know, good old fashioned courtroom humiliation of my own is that sparing details in the report leads to trouble. So you might feel like you're being over the top, but my opinion is let them tell you, you have to take information out of your report. You know, if they think it's too much, mm -hmm. let them tell you that. Sure. Um, I've never had that happen. And I think in this day and age, it would be rare uh, for a supervisor or a prosecutor to tell you you have mm -hmm. too much detail in there. And then the second thing, um, I encourage a lot of detail starting with the field notes. Uh, you know, you and I have talked and we've said this, there may be things that arise as you are investigating or interviewing that don't necessarily end up in the report. Mm -hmm. But down the line, those details can become important. And I think a classic example of this is, you know, the bystander you interviewed at, at a scene who really had nothing to add at the time, but you did your due diligence, you took down their information, their contact, phone number, things like that. And then a couple of days later, as cases tend to do, it takes a turn, something has developed, and now that bystander is at the center of your investigation. Mm -hmm. We see that happen. Um, and then finally, the other thing to consider is really, and this is something that I found very valuable, was getting to know the prosecutors um, that I would be working with and what they might be looking for. So I worked with a prosecutor that used to always say, you know, I don't care if it's notes on, on a napkin from the diner, from your lunch break, I want everything you have. And his point of view was always, I don't like surprises. I don't like surprises in the courtroom. I want to know everything. So just kind of spending some time and, and doing a little homework and knowing some of the expectations and nuances that can really help as well. 
um, and you know, forming a positive relationship, feeling like you have a, a, a person in, in the prosecutor's office that you can ask questions to, um, I think that can be really helpful too, because it can guide you all along. You know, you can call them up as you're writing the report. You know, a lot of them are open to that as well. Yeah, no, the, the, that's great advice, and and I and I. I think about five cases that come off the top of my head when you mentioned the prosecutor wants everything. And um, sometimes we, in, in our haste, we will write something out that says, um, I saw a suspect, um, I did a search because I knew he was a parolee, da, 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 da. And uh, down the line, I'm sure that will become a, a point of contention. Well, how'd you know he was a parolee? And sure. I mean, one line saying, you know, I, you know, through prior arrests by me of the suspect, I knew him to be on active parole. So mm-hmm. something that simple. Um, also, I think um, when, when you involve other officers or witnesses or victims who give statements, uh, it's important to talk about their point of view, where they're at, um, you know, how could they see the crime being committed from a second story window that they say they saw it from when it doesn't face, you know, where the crime happened. Uh, Or if an officer did something, heard something, saw something, uh, you may have to ask that officer and uh, they may be or may not be so willing to do it, but to write a separate statement to say those things, because otherwise, you're swearing to testimony that's otherwise hearsay. In California, right. we have a proposition, Prop 115, that allows you to, at the preliminary stages, to um, describe what another officer told you. But otherwise, they're going to have to come forward at some point. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So some prosecutors may ask, um, for you to canvas an area, for you to take license plates, things like that, if if that's the case, or uh, you know, in in our case, in, in some agencies in California, where it used to be that the the trust of police officers was really high, maybe not so much now. Um, we have prosecutors that are asking, did you keep the weapon separate? Did you test it for DNA or fingerprints or even though you saw the suspect drop the gun after firing it, did you bag his hands for a, a GSR, gunshot residue analysis? So uh, I think it depends on your local prosecutor if they're, if they're a team member with you or if they're a bit of an adversary to, to make sure those things are done and they're in the report. So uh, you don't have to follow up uh, your, your primary report with a supplemental. Mm-hmm. So how detailed should we go into describing technology or evidentiary issues? Do you have any thoughts on that? that, That's a great question. Um, I think the big picture here is we should always be documenting anything that strengthens our case. Um, We don't wanna put things in there that, um, like you said, you know, if if we think, especially about technology. So when I think about technological tools and their presence in a police narrative report, I can certainly think of reports referencing the use of, for example, a license plate reader or a body-worn camera and the like. But I'm not, I don't, I can't say that I've seen police narratives that get really into sort of nitty-gritty uh, in terms of technological descri- description and functioning of these tools. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and you know, it really does make me wonder too. And I, I think this is kind of like a once bitten, twice shy kind of thing for me. I remember 
um, you really getting into the weeds one time because I had said something in my report about um, uh, something to the effect of my experience with the radar. And next thing I know, I'm testifying about like the tuning forks and like all this stuff. And I'm like, oh my God. And you know, just looking like a complete moron up there. And it was humiliating for me. Um, I sort of left the door open just a little bit too much. Mm. So I wonder, you know, when we're in terms of technology, especially um, if, if we, it might be prudent to make sure we don't kind of get ourselves into the weeds and leave ourselves open to questions that are kind of beyond our uh, experience. Um, and then, you know, another scenario that, that we had talked about is like saying things like um, with uh, kind of establishing things that would have been established already. So like conditions for a search. Mm. And, you know, I'm thinking about that. And I think that the police narrative report is that officer's account of their chunk of what happened during the call. Mm -hmm. So something like that, where you're trying to um, establish search conditions, again, it has to be done. It's kind of like a fine art. And hey, mm. here's another scenario you could call your hopeful, hopefully your prosecutor friend. Um, but, you know, maybe that's something that's uh, more prevalence or appropriate to leave to the warrant affidavit or something like that, uh, you know, in the case of you have a search warrant uh, or to those ends. But, you know, I think it's, uh, you know, especially now with um, increased technology, increased accountability, in, increased uh, calls for transparency. Uh, it, this is something that I, that I think we can give more thought to. Um, but, you know, generally speaking, if it's going to bolster your your actions and it's going to substantiate what you chose to do at that scene, I think it absolutely belongs in, in the report. Okay, good advice. And you mentioned body-worn cameras and I gotta ask, uh, first of all, with the precursor that if your agency has a policy that either prohibits you or encourages you to look at the body-worn footage, um, all things equal, what do you think before writing my report, if I can, should I look at my body worn camera footage? Yeah, so this this has been an interesting debate that I've kind of been following along. Um, you know, on the one side, there's a belief that allowing an officer to review the body worn camera footage is an unfair advantage or this like belief that it gives opportunities for the officer to, to fudge things kind of. But when I think about this, I immediately draw a parallel to how other types of footage are used and viewed in policing. And what's funny about that is normally in police work, we review footage for the exact opposite reason of fudging anything, right? We review it to make sure we're correct and accurate in our account of what happened. You know, like looking at a, a surveillance video in the case of a robbery. Um, and I'm not really sure why this logic isn't translating to body-worn camera footage, um, because, I mean, to... to kind of support that even a little bit more if we add on top of that what we already know about memory recall especially in a stressful situation and just plain old you know human brain limitations it would just seem like there's far more benefit to reviewing the body camera in terms of being as accurate as possible ahead of writing that report than not yeah totally agree and i mean if it's if it's evidence if it's going to be booked it is evidence and why wouldn't you be able to review the evidence and sure. like you say the brain fills in the gaps so uh, maybe you didn't see something that 
actually happened, but you know, you can't articulate it. Uh, and then you see it on video and then you realize why you did or reacted in a way because something was coming and um, your, br your brain sort of filled in the gaps. Well, um, I'm trying to think we're going to wrap it up. And uh, I'm thinking about supporting information such as those search conditions, probable cause, uh, your own expertise and training when it comes to something like observed objective symptoms, whether in a DUI or under the influence of drugs or narcotics. Um, do you, is that a boilerplate? Do we include the one paragraph that qualifies you to make those observations or, or to use? Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I'm interrupting. No, 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 no. I'm just, I'm just so thinking. To talk about report writing, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, um, it's the idea that what you do next is based on your experience and knowledge. And maybe, maybe we should prop that up a bit rather than wait to be attacked on the stand. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely agree. You know, if uh, I, I, of course, this is probably going to be another thing that's agency specific and customary. But, you know, I think a great example of where it would be really beneficial uh, to share your expertise, you know, take like a drug recognition expert, you had mentioned, um, you know, somebody under the influence or something and they, and they do a, a DUI, right? Um, I think that can, you know, going back to stacking as much as we can on our side and, uh, uh, you know, putting the advent, the, I'm sorry, the advantage, you know, uh, on our side. I think that that's something that absolutely belongs in there. Uh, but then I'm, then I'm thinking too, and actually one of my, uh, one of my friends on the job that I was speaking to earlier, uh, she's a defensive tactics person. And I, then I think that maybe it'd sound a little funny if she was like, I'm a, if she's in a use of force situation and, and she says that, I don't think that's uh, something that's commonly done, but um, I don't know, you know, I, that, I think that's another great conversation. Is it, is it something that you should, that you should throw in there, you know, cause certainly if it goes to trial, that's going to come out. Um, yeah, and maybe it's another one of those things where, you know, let them tell you to take it out. Yeah. So we're wrapping it up. And one other, one of the similar to the body worn camera, I'm going to ask you um, the, I mean, we're in a digital age, right? And I come from a time where I kept that notebook in my breast pocket and everything went into that notebook. And I wrote uh, the report based on everything that I didn't, I never put anything directly on a report form. Everything went into that notebook and then came out later onto the page. Mm -hmm. Should we be keeping notebooks today? Should officers still carry that little pad of paper in their pocket and keep notes and, and then transfer them later onto the police report or, um, you know, the, I know the objection is that these things are discoverable, right? If you keep a running notebook, you know, a prosecutor can, or a defense attorney can ask for it. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I personally can't imagine not keeping a notebook. As a matter of fact, I have a notebook right here because I'm always <laughs> writing things down. That's me. But, um, you know, that is a good point that it's, you know, something, you know, the Rosario material. Um, but I just think that there is a an advantage to having your own space and something immediate um, 
to, to jot things down. Cause you know, the other thing too, is like, think about the optics of that. You see a police officer take out, say like their cell phone to, to record something into it or to type something into it. It doesn't look good, right? It doesn't look like they're doing what they're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I just think like having your notebook is, Ooh, I would be lost without it. I don't think that should die quite yet. I'm, I'm going to say pro notebook. Nice. I'm with you. I'm a hundred percent notebook. I like you, like you, I keep one today and I write everything down because I'll forget. <laughs> but uh, I think our final advice, I mean, I'm sure you'd agree that you're writing this report. It's not a one-off. I mean, there's a potential for it to go somewhere. Uh, remember who may be reading the report, your supervisor who approves it, the victim, other investigators, your prosecutor, the defense attorney, Forensics experts, uh, the press, internal affairs. Um, I think down the road, we're going to investigate some more uh, report writing and report um, uh, sidelines, including the liability uh, in in writing and documenting uh, in reports. And um, do you have anything to add beyond that? I mean, you talked about um, the, the, the records requests and who knows who's getting that. Uh, sure. Anybody yeah. can get you. There are certain times when we can redact some information mm-hmm. uh, in, in crime specific, sexual assaults, children related crimes and, and things like that. But um, who else are we writing these reports for? Yeah, well, you could even say, um, you know, the victim. Uh, you know, I, I really, this day and age, the way that information travels, um, I don't know if there's a limit to <laughs> to it. And I think that's why we can really underscore this concept of kind of doing your future self as many favors as possible by even that mundane kind of humdrum run of the mill case that you're on right now, uh, you know, make it the best, you know, make it the best report, make it detailed, make it outstanding. Yeah. Uh, and that way you save yourself a lot of headaches down the line, same way every time. Yep. Well, that's good advice. Thanks for being on Policing Matters. Dr. Janae Gasparini, veteran police officer, trainer, and academic in criminal justice studies at Shepherd University in West Virginia. And to our listeners, uh, what do you think? Do you have a style that works? Do you do something different in your agency? If you're that veteran officer who had uh, something jump up and bite you, on the stand in court. Let's hear about it. Send us uh, an email or comment uh, underneath. If you're listening on Apple, uh, write us a review. Tell us what you think. Uh, Give us your comments. And otherwise, on email, we are at policingmatters at police1.com. Policingmatters at police1.com. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and listen in again soon.